Unmasking Eve, 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 unmasking Eve. This is Abby. This is Joey. And, and this, this is, is Unmasking Eve. I am with my wonderful, loving, beautiful daughter. I'll stop lying now. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we just got done having pie and ice cream, or I did anyway, and she was telling me about her dog and how she was ready to kill her. Yes. Polly Ann is a very bad girl. She is so bad. She chewed on my couch. Poor puppy. Yeah. Now I have three couches that need to be thrown away. <laughs> it's not funny. She keeps eating all your furniture. You're going to sit and beam back to the floor. <laughs> that poor dog. That poor dog? What do you mean? You know how much money that dog has costed me? You don't want to know. She's chewed up so many pairs of shoes. That one vet bill was like $400 because she was full of crap. Literally. She was literally <laughs> blocked up so bad with poop. It's all the couches she's that been eating. she was throwing up. Quit feeding your couches and start feeding your food. <laughs> that dog. Anyway. <laughs> you love her, though. I do. You if lo- I didn't, she would be long gone. She'd be at the pound right now. But I love her too much. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love you so much, I wouldn't send you to the pound either. Oh, my goodness. You're so kind. I know. I love you. I know. You're sweet, caring, yeah. loving, adorable. I'll stop lying again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready? So you can nah, stop being mean to me? I'm having fun. Whatever. <laughs> okay, what do you got for us today? Angela Samoda. Have you heard of it before? Well, yes. Before uh, I told you about it. No. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I hadn't either. Um, so it's a case that actually took place in Dallas a while ago. 1984. So it was a while ago. 1984? Mm-hmm. I was six. Really? Yeah. Yeah. This one's actually another solved case. But it wasn't solved until 20 years later. Yeah. I did watch a uh, YouTube documentary over it. Mm -hmm. It was very short. It was not 19 minutes long. You might have watched the same one I did because I watched one too. It wasn't very good. Um, I felt like they could have done her way better justice, Uh honestly. I probably should have watched another one other than the one that I watched. But I kind of wanted to go into this one not knowing a whole lot. Although the last time. Yeah, the last time we did this, I texted him and I was like, okay, so the next one I'm doing is Angela Samoda if you want to look at it because it's kind of a lot. She was 20 years old, a junior in college, and the crime scene description is brutal. Yeah. I don't know. Did you have you heard anything about that? No. Okay, yeah. It didn't go... So you told me about that, and the documentary did not go into detail. Yeah, it's brutal. So I didn't get prepared for that part of it. So I'm hoping... I'm going to give a little warning before I... <laughs> my head is better today than what we, than what it was during the last podcast. So I should be okay where I don't lose my crap today. Yeah. Maybe. So, I'll try to be more professional today. 
Are we ready? Uh, yeah. KK. So Angela Samoda, she actually goes by the name Angie, so that's what I'm going to call her. Uh, but she was born on September 19th, 1964 to Frank and Betty Ruth in Alameda. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right, so I'm sorry if I butchered it. California. I don't know how sh- they migrated to Texas, but they lived in Amarillo. It's Alameda. Alameda? Yeah. Okay. But they lived in Amarillo, Texas. Don't know why they moved there. But anyway, she's the youngest of five children. Her father actually passed just a short while after she was born in January of 1965. So just a couple months after. Oh, that's sad. Well, but I also saw a report, and he was only 45 years old, but I also saw a report that he had left the family shortly after Andrew was born. Oh, okay. So I don't know if like they were aware of what had happened to him. But I found him on, do you know what findagrave.com is? Mm-hmm. I found him on that. But anyway, she attended the Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, where she was also a men- member of the Zeta Tau Alpha sorority. Is that how you say it? I'm going to go with yes. KK. Well, if I butchered that as well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Angela was an outstanding student. She was a double major, actually. She majored in computer science and electrical engineering, which back then is wow. like a big deal. You know, because like she was only one of the few like women in that category. Well, it's still a big deal, but definitely back then for a woman, yeah, yeah I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, but she was a very smart girl from what it sounds like. Many people would describe Angela as smart and super friendly, and she was very focused on her studies. It is stated that she would often study for many hours a day, often until very, very late at night. And Angela, she actually had a best friend named Sheila. They had met during her freshman year of college, and they were roommates during this time as well. It's reported that her and Sheila were quite opposites. Sheila actually had dyslexia, so she had a very hard time in school. But fast forwarding to 1984, Angie was 20 years old and she was a junior in college. On October 12th of this year, her and a few of her friends, Russell and Anita, they decided to go to the Texas State Fair and then afterwards decided to visit a local club called the Rio Dance Room Dance Club. And it stated that most of their night was spent at the club. And they were out pretty late. Angie dropped her friend Russell and Anita off at their homes at around 1 a.m. And then this is whenever she headed home. So It's not too late. mm, I guess not for a college student, no. No, she's home before clubs close. That's true. Well, anyway, Angie's boyfriend, Ben, says that about 1.45 a.m., Angie called him, telling him that there was a man in her house. He says the first thing she said to him was, talk to me. In a very, very concerned tone, like something felt way off. And he says that he could hear noises in the background of the call, and he knew that she was supposed to be alone, and she didn't have any roommates at the time. And so this is whenever she told him of the man. She said she left the man, or she let the man into her apartment because he knocked on the door asking to use her restroom and her phone, but he was starting to freak her out. So then at this point, she's trying to get the man out of her apartment and asked Ben if there was a gas station down the road that had a payphone. He said that there was, and then he heard her relay this information to the man in her apartment, but then suddenly she said, I got to go. I'll call you back as soon as I can, and she hung up, like, very abruptly, which is very weird. That's never good. No, and so he's waiting for her to call back, but, you know, time is just slowly taking by, and he becomes more worried by the second, so then he just starts to try to call her, but she's not answering. And he calls, he calls, he calls, he calls, 
and she's just not answering. And so then he just decides to get in his truck and go to her apartment. And he actually says that on his way there, he's calling her repeatedly, but getting no response. And at first I'm like, okay, hold on. It's 1984. Who the heck has a cell phone in 1984? But apparently his truck had a phone, like a landline type phone. I didn't know this was a thing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what? Car phones. I didn't know that a car phone was a thing. Mm -hmm. In the 80s. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So anyway, he, they, yeah. they were connected by a cord and everything, like a landline would have been. Wow. Huh. Yeah, I was like, what? That was very strange to me. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, again, she wasn't she wasn't answering. Um but so he gets to her apartment and the first thing that he notices is that her car was in the parking lot and so he was probably like, oh, "Okay, like she's okay. Maybe she just got distracted by something." But he goes and Knocks on the door and nobody answered. And then he eventually starts pounding on the door and nobody's answering. And he also noted that there was absolutely no noise coming from inside the apartment other than the sound of her phone ringing each time he tried to call her from his truck. And after realizing if she was there, she would be answering the door or the phone. He decided to drive to the gas station that uh, she had asked about with the payphone to see if she was there maybe she she like went to go show the guy where the phone was which i don't know why she would do that like at that point just let him use your phone but i don't know i guess maybe he thought that she would be there but she wasn't there so he goes back to her apartment and at this point he's just panicked and he decides to call the police and so the police arrive at about 2 17 in the morning but there's a few confusing details at this point to like how they get into her apartment so some sources say that the police got a key from the apartment manager which i don't know how they would do this at two in the morning usually apartment manager has an apartment at the complex oh they do yeah okay i've never lived in an apartment so i don't know but anyway and then some sources say that they busted down the door but regardless of how they got in they do and at first, they don't see anyone or anything under the ordinary in the living room. And so they start to search. They searched the kitchen, the first bedroom. Then they got to the second bedroom. And what they saw was something that nobody would need to see. So this is what I'm going to give my little warning. So um, it may not affect some people, but me, I was like, oh. So anyway, Angie was laying there. She was half hanging off of the bed. She was naked, and she was completely covered in blood. And her eyes were still open, you know, just kind of staring off into the distance. And one of the officers went to go touch her to see if there were any signs of life, but there wasn't. And I don't think he was really expecting there to be because of how brutal it, it seemed. But she was cold, and she didn't have any pulse. So the paramedics get there, and one of them recalled that it looked like her heart had been cut out. And it appeared to her that her heart was, like, laying on top of her chest. And so investigators initially suspected that the killer was somebody that Angie knew because of how brutal and personal it looked. My first thought was, how can she be cold? But then you got to with her heart being cut out. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. That, yeah, that part, whenever they said like it looked like her heart was cut out, I was like, oh, my. That is, that's bad. That's brutal. You were right. It was very <laughs> gruesome. Yeah. And so immediately after this, they go and break the news to Ben, who was hanging out outside while the police did their jobs. And they noticed right away that he hardly reacted, and he didn't ask any questions. Like, he wasn't like, well, what happened to her? 
like, does it look like she was murdered or, you know what I mean? So they thought that that was weird. But this wasn't the only thing that stood out to them, though. They also noticed that he looked very put together for somebody who supposedly was woken up in the middle of the night and had to rush over there. Um, I saw something that said he had a shirt that looked like it was just freshly ironed, which they thought was weird for like a 20-something-year-old boy. He was like, I think he was 23, just a couple years older than her. I don't know. Did you have shirts that were freshly ironed at that age? <laughs> I don't have shirts that are freshly ironed now. <laughs> exactly. And so they thought that that was weird, you know, especially at like, what, like 145, whenever he said that she called him. Right. So they also made note that he smelled like soap, like he had freshly showered. And this wouldn't normally alarm me, but... It was also stated that after finding Angie and they were clearing the apartment, they pulled back the shower curtain in the bathroom to make sure that nobody was hiding behind there. And it seemed like it had been used recently, um, but in like a weird way. Like there was blood on the bottom of the tub and inside the shower curtain that had been diluted. So somebody cleaned up before they left. Wow. And usually, you know, there's somebody, if some random person comes into your house and kills you, they're not going to know if somebody's going to show up, you know, they're probably not going to think that they're going to have enough time to clean up like that. So maybe they're thinking it's the boyfriend. Especially when she was just on the phone with somebody. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, of course, Ben was their first suspect because of everything I just told you, but they also suspected him because he didn't join her and her friends out that night. Um, And this was because he had an early morning at work the next day. He was actually a construction worker. So we just needed to get some rest. And they did confirm this with his employer that he had to work the next morning. And he was – go ahead. Well, I was going to say my first thoughts with the freshly ironed shirt and the soap was if she was a college student, maybe he had recently graduated. Maybe he had a professional job. But if he's a construction worker, the iron shirt's really out of place now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Unless he was Hispanic, because they typically dress really well. Really? In my, in my, uh, like, experience, like, a lot of Hispanics have really good hygiene. They have really good, uh... Like personal care? Personal care. You know, they take care of themselves. They take care of their belongings. Well, I'm not they sure. They want to look nice. I'm not, I don't know what his race is. So I don't know. So. It's actually a good question. I did try to Google him to see, like, if I could find anything, like, where he is now. But yeah. there's nothing about him on Google. Oh, really? Yeah. But anyway, um, he was super cooperative with the police from the very beginning. He answered all of their questions. And he agreed to head to the station with them shortly after to answer more questions. They checked him for any signs of a struggle, like scratches, and they didn't see anything. He also let them search his car, which turned up nothing. And he was even more than willing to supply a blood and saliva sample, you know, if they came across any possible DNA on her. Um, But he did refuse to take a polygraph. So what do you think about that? I mean... Polygraphs aren't admissible in court. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of experience, like, with law enforcement and, of course, with us doing these cases. 
knowing that law enforcement would lie about them anyway, even if you passed it, they're going to say you failed it. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that here in a little bit, too. <laughs> and I, uh, in a situation like that. I think it's smart to not take a polygraph. I, I, I would refuse one as well. I would, too, honestly. because, like, they're not admissible in court, like you said. Why? Yeah. Why are we taking them if, if they're not accurate enough to be used in court? And and me, if someone comes at me and they're like, well, you did this, you did this, you did this, you need to take a polygraph to prove that you didn't do it. First of all, I'm going to be mad. Yeah. Because I'm like, you're wasting time. Like my dead girlfriend's killer is getting away. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be infuriated. Yeah. And even though I'm going to want to cooperate so police are able to exclude me as a suspect because they need to be able to do that so they are looking for the right suspect. Yeah. But I would express why I wouldn't take one. For one, they're not admissible in court. Two, in a situation like that, your emotions are high. You're you going to be stressed out because you're talking to You police. could potentially fail the polygraph. Even if you're telling the truth. Even if you're telling the truth. And then you're just delaying the investigation even more, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. No, like in the Crime Junkie podcast, they have like crime junkie rules. This is one of them. Never take a polygraph. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so Never. Wh- what's their reasoning? The same reason. Like, they're just oh, really? not accurate. Okay. And we'll t- I'll talk a little bit more about that okay. later. But, yeah, never take a polygraph. So, Sheila, she wasn't actually at college when Angela was murdered. She was back at home with her family. After Sheila learned uh, what had happened to her friend, she said that she just remembers screaming in pain, just falling to the ground and screaming in pain. And she actually made the decision to not go back to school. She dedicated every second of her time to finding who killed Angie. But we'll talk about that a little bit more later on as well. Yeah, and and see, that was one thing that I really remembered from the documentary Mm -hmm. was her response to her friend being murdered Mm -hmm. because it was so genuine genuine to me. Mm -hmm. Like her pain was so real, Mm -hmm. even all those years later. That's really sad. So when investigators were processing the scene, they noticed that there was absolutely no signs of forced entry. But this wasn't weird to them because Ben told them that Angie said she let a man into her home. But they also noticed that it seemed like there was a knife missing from Angie's knife block in the kitchen. Like it wasn't in the sink or anything. It was just gone. Um, And there wasn't a knife found at the scene near her body or anything either. Or any type of murder weapon. So... They thought that maybe the killer took the knife from her knife block. And this gave them even more reason to believe that it was somebody that she had known. Because who comes to a girl's apartment to kill her with no murder murder weapon, you know? Like with the plan to just take a knife from her kitchen to kill her. But also, why would Angie let a random man into her home? And that I didn't understand at all. Yeah. Like, like that late at night. Especially. Like I know me. I'm not answering the door for if you don't tell me you're coming over, I'm not gonna answer the door for you. Right? Yeah. Especially that late at night. Oh yeah, for sure. So when Angie's autopsy report came back, people were just very struck by what had happened to her. She had been stabbed eighteen times and they were all to her chest area, which would explain why it looked the way it looked with her heart and stuff. But she did have a lot of defensive wounds and there was smeared blood on her face 
like over her mouth, and the medical examiner thought that this was the killer covering her mouth with his bloody hand to keep her quiet. And we know that Angie fought for her life. There was skin DNA found under her fingernails that indicated she scratched her killer. And there was also semen found, which would prove what officers had already thought that she'd been sexually assaulted because, remember, she was naked. Um, they immediately took the semen sample and sent it to the crime lab for testing. DNA wasn't as advanced back then as it is today, so they weren't able to build a complete DNA profile. But they do find that whoever left the sample is a non-secretor. Do you know what that means? A uh, non-secretor. Just from the wording, I have a, <laughs> an idea. Okay. But I'm not 100% sure. Do you want to say it or no? Go ahead. Okay. Um, so a non-secretor, there's two people. People who are secretors and people who are not. So a secretor is somebody who secretes blood antigens with their bodily fluids. So like saliva semen stuff like that yeah and then a non-secretor is somebody who doesn't okay so with this information they want to begin to rule people out because they're pretty confident that whoever left the sample belonged to their killer and statistics actually show that about only 20 percent of people are non-secretors so this helped them out tremendously completely not what i was expecting (laughs) you're gonna have to tell me later what you thought (laughs) but yeah that's what a secretor is which i didn't know before researching that either But the first person they tested against this was Ben, uh, because if you remember, he provided blood and saliva samples. And so they do this, and they learn that Ben is a secretor. So the killer's not Ben. So he's cleared pretty quickly. Yes. So now that they ruled out their prime suspect, they needed to find more. And they began to talk to her friends and family to see if there were to see if there was anywhere they should look. And when doing this, they actually learned that a lot of men were interested in Angie. I don't know if you saw any pictures of her, but she was very pretty. Yeah. She was very pretty. She was very smart. And if you remember, she was a double major in computer science and electrical engineering. So very smart. She was also very down to earth, like the sweetest girl you'd ever meet. And there was one particular name that kept getting brought up. Um, That's Lance. Lance was actually Angie's ex-boyfriend who had reportedly threatened her with a knife. And she was killed with a knife. So that's very sketch. Uh, They had also learned that he told her that if she ever broke up with him, he would kill her and then kill himself. So they're like, okay, we got to talk to this dude. Um, So they track him down. And, of course, the first thing that they ask him is about the knife incident. And he doesn't deny it. He admits it right away. Like, yeah, I did that. Like, what? Are you dumb? Are you dumb? Yeah, he's dumb, apparently. Well, I mean. (laughs) But don't lie to the police. So I guess he's smart. I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of a weird situation. He's obviously not a liar. There you go. But Give him that. That's true. But, yeah, he admits it right off the bat, but he swears up and down that he did not hurt her. Like, now or back then. But, I mean, you know, of course, if you threaten somebody like that, they're not going to really believe you. Right. But he did have an alibi. But his alibi was that he was asleep at his parents' house. So, I don't know. That's not very solid. Um but they do get some samples from him to find out if he's a secretor or not, and he is. So he's ruled out. Now, wait a second. Why do you say his asleep at his parents' house isn't a good alibi? Because parents lie for their children all of the time. Do you remember the Gabby Petito case and uh, Brian Laundry and stuff? Like, good point. Good point. They knew what happened. Which, There's no way they didn't know. Which that's a case we should cover in the future. Yeah, we should. So, but anyway, 
Do you need to say anything else? No. Okay. So when interviewing Angie's friends, they do find out about another guy who lived on the same campus as Angie, and his name is Joe. And he had the biggest crush on her, but in a creepy way. He would leave notes for her that creeped her out and came off as threatening. Um, I didn't find anything about, like, what they said or anything, but she made it known to, like, her friends and stuff. Like, this is very weird. Um, But he did have a pretty solid alibi, though. But they still got samples from him to test. And when they came back, they learned that he's a non-secretor. So I'm not sure what his alibi was. But investigators were able to 100% confirm it. So they didn't, they ruled them out as well. Um, One more person they were interested in was actually Russell. Do you remember who this is? I do not. Um, It's one of the friends that Angie went out the night before. Oh. Before she had gotten home, actually. Okay, so she went out with him. Yes, it was Russell and Anita. So the person who brought Russell to the police's attention was actually Sheila. She told him that she had always had this weird vibe when it came to him, and something just seemed off. Um, we learned that Angela actually didn't know him well. She only met him once at a happy hour with her friends, and he asked her out, but she turned him down. And so people think maybe Angie and Anita were already supposed to go out, but we think maybe she felt bad, and so she called them and asked if they wanted to go out or if he wanted to go out with them. But... Um, Anita, she was, of course, interviewed, and she states that the longer the night went on, she began to fit, feel a bit like a third wheel, but she says that nothing had happened between Russell and Angie. But, of course, they needed to talk to Russell, and they found him at his house after he had just gotten off of work, and he was very caught off guard by this. They go up to his door, say they want to take him to the station for some questioning, and he looks out, and he just sees his apartment is just surrounded by police, Their lights are on. Every car door had its door open with a cop hidden behind it with their guns drawn. Wow. I can only, like, not I can't even imagine, actually, how confused he probably was. Especially if he wasn't guilty. For real. And actually, whenever they told him that Angie had been murdered, he, he acted surprised. Like, he had no idea that she died. So that's a little weird. Um, but... They did learn that actually just a few hours after she was killed, um, he skipped town, which is really sus to them. But he told them that this was because he went to a wedding early Saturday, and then he flew down to Houston to visit some family. And they were able to verify all of that. Okay. But the police asked if they could search his apartment, and he agreed. They did quickly notice that he had a bunch of knives and spears, but he justified them by saying that his roommate had just returned from an African safari. (laughs) So, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, this guy's innocent. I feel so bad for him. <laughs> this poor dude. <laughs> it gets worse. But after this, they weren't able to find anything that, that would connect him like, directly to Angie's like murder. But they do test him to see if he's a non-secreter, and he is. So, they're like, okay. Um and, but while this was weird, they don't have anything else on him to arrest him or convict him of anything at this point. But he did agree to a polygraph, and he passed. But here we go. This is this is where it gets weird. He passed, right? But there's many instances where the police, they would go back to the results, and they'd be like, okay, he passed. A little bit later. No, he failed. A little bit later. It's inconclusive. So that goes back to you saying, like, yeah, they, they lie about that a lot, or they change their minds. Yeah, see, that's the one thing about the cops is they don't have to be honest. They can lie. Like, 
Yeah, and it's like he only took one polygraph test, so it's not like they're saying different things about different ones. It's the same one. Yeah. So never take a polygraph. <laughs> but, I mean, if someone actually did fail, that is going to clue them in more on to that person, mm-hmm. which it should, in my yeah. opinion, which yeah. is why I wouldn't take one, just exactly. in case. Exactly. Just in case I passed. failed one honestly. Yeah. yeah. Like being innocent and I failed it, I'm going to be like, no, let's – Let's not even have to deal with that situation because I yeah. know that I'm never going to kill anyone. Do you, though? Unless I have to. <laughs> well, anyway, so. With that, unless I'm given no choice. After this, the police, they decided to team up with Angie's freshman roommate, Sheila, freshman year roommate, Sheila, to befriend Russell. They wanted her to go to dinner with him to see if he would, you know, tell her anything that they didn't tell the police. And so she wore a wire during this dinner so the police could hear anything that was said. And she also had many phone calls with him that were recorded, but his story never changed. Which, I mean, I don't really, I don't know how I feel about that because, I mean, they were best friends and I think everybody knew that. So I don't think he would admit anything to her. Right? I wouldn't think so. But, I mean, I guess you just never know. I guess it was worth a shot. Yeah. But... Eventually, he decides, you know, enough is enough. They're not going to leave me alone. So he hires a lawyer and he stops talking to police, which I understand. Because if this dude's innocent, like, they're just, like, pressing him whenever they should be looking somewhere else. Right. So it's a smart move, in my opinion. But it was stated in a YouTube video I'll watch for this case that we'll link to. But it's that the lawyer that he hired was actually usually hired by people who did commit the crime. (laughs) The one I watched stated the same thing. Okay, it might be the same one. Because I'm like, okay, um... That's weird. But, you know, although that was weird to them, and he was 100% convinced that he's their guy, they had to move on because they just didn't have any solid evidence. Right. And so the case eventually went cold. Sheila had a very hard time letting this go. She was also convinced that Russell was the murderer. Sheila was Angie's biggest advocate. In 2004, she decided to call the Dallas police uh, trying to get Angie's case reopened, and they kept telling her no. And so she goes out of her way to become a private investigator, a licensed private investigator. Um, And so in the YouTube video, if it's the same one, they said that she got it just a couple months later in 2004. But then I saw another source saying that she got it in 2006. I don't know how you get this license, so I don't know how long it takes. Doesn't take very long. It doesn't? Okay. So then she probably did get it in 2004. But regardless, whenever she does, she calls the Dallas police again asking for all the case files to be handed over to her and they didn't they didn't do it they're like no which they don't have to this wasn't going to stop her she wouldn't stop calling them it was reported that she called over 700 times 700 times and she got angie's friends in on this as well and so they eventually connected her to the detective who was working the cold case in the dallas area i just want to say if you're having issues with the police just don't leave them alone because, like, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Like, just keep bothering them. They'll probably eventually listen to you. I've never heard that uh, analogy before. That's a good one. Where'd you find that at? Crime junkie. Oh. <laughs> but no, seriously. Like, just keep bothering them. They'll eventually listen to you. But anyway, um, they connected her to the detective that works the cold cases. And she took a look at Angie's case. 
And then she eventually learns that there was that semen sample that we talked about earlier that hadn't been tested yet. And so after they processed it, they ran it through CODIS. Do you know what CODIS is? Mm -hmm. Okay. And they immediately got a hit. The first person they called about this was Sheila. And Sheila got to hear the words she waited 20 years for. We got him. But it wasn't Russell. It wasn't Lance. And it wasn't Ben. The guy who matched the DNA sample, his name was Donald Bess, and he was serving a life sentence for being a sexual predator. So after this, they slowly started putting the pieces together. They believe that Donald saw Angie out with her friends, followed her home, knocked on her door, asked to use her restroom and her phone, um, like Angie had told Ben on the phone call. And then they believe that after this, he sexually assaulted her, but then before he was able to leave, Ben showed up. And this is whenever they think he had to kill her. That kind of makes sense to me because if his intention was to kill her, I think he would have brought his own weapon. But the knife was taken from the knife block. So right. maybe he was like, crap, what am I going to do now? And panicked. But so he took a knife from the knife block in the kitchen, covered her mouth to keep her quiet, and stabbed her repeatedly in the chest. And... They think that he was able to leave after Ben had actually gone to that gas station down the road before he came back. So they eventually arrested Donald for Angie's murder. You know, I kind of want to, that's wrong. After I did more research, um, he was already in prison, I, I believe, yeah. for some past crimes. And Ben and Russell testified at his trial in 2010 and some past um, victims of his actually testified as well. But he was sentenced to death after this, and he ended up dying from a heart attack in prison on October 8th, 2002. So, or two, 2022. Which was... My brain's not working. Less than a year ago. Yeah. So he actually didn't get to die by the... What's it called? Lethal injection. Yeah, that. So, yeah. Which, Moral of the story, keep your doors locked and don't answer the door. <laughs> this was in Texas. I'm wondering if they found him in Texas. I don't know. Did it say? Mm-mm. I could look. I don't remember either. Donald Bess. That'd be interesting to know. In 2010, Donald Bess was convicted of the cold case murder, 20-year-old, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't say. It just says that by 2010, he was in his 60s. So he was in his 70s whenever he died. Wow. Where did they find And he went 20 years free. No, he, he actually got arrested not long. Oh, I didn't put this in here. I just want to say... In 1984, he was let out on parole just a short while before she was killed. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's been in and out of jail like his whole life, it sounded like. And he was let out on parole and then killed her. And then he was arrested for another uh, rape incident, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think Angie is probably the only one that he killed. I think he was a serial rapist. And, and he, he only killed her because Ben showed up. Right. And he panicked. So, yeah. Well, see, my thing with Russell, and I, I felt really early on that he was innocent, because if it would have been him, you'd think she would have said something on the phone to her boyfriend. Hey, the guy that I was out with tonight exactly. showed up to my house. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable with him being here. I'll let him in to use the restroom, use the telephone. 
I don't know why he showed up at my house. So my thing was instantly it wasn't him, which if I was a cop, that would have been my thinking. But if I was a cop also, I would have been more than happy to have her friend come in and help with the investigation. I don't know if it it was a department-based policy maybe or if the investigator was just like, no, I'm a cop, you're a nobody, you only got your private investigator license to try to push the whole I want to see the files thing. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know, but yeah, because you would think on that phone call she, like you said, but she didn't give a name. All she said was, I left this man into my house Yeah, and he's creeping me out. Yeah. If she would have known him, I think she would have given her boyfriend the guy's name. I Yeah, I agree with like, you there. There's I did, no reason why that. she wouldn't have. But you, you wouldn't make a very good criminal. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> it's a good thing I don't want to kill anybody yet. We'll get you there. I mean, <laughs> not they want to kill anybody, but where you could be a good criminal. No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I hope there's no cops listening to this. <laughs> well, anyway. Well, yeah. the more you research stuff like this, the the more you learn. That is true, yeah. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, that's the bad thing about true crime podcast you know and if someone's a really big uh it's really into it well no because do you remember the thing that happened about a year ago almost a year ago the four college students that were murdered in their shared like off-campus home no oh my gosh in washington in november i think it was november 13th they were out and they all got home, like, really late. Like, they were at parties and stuff. It was a Saturday night. But the next morning at about noon, it, okay, so hold on. There was four of them. There was three girls and one male. The male was a boyfriend. I do remember this. Yes. So they fought, they caught the guy. He hasn't been convicted of anything yet, I don't think. But he's um, in jail. I think he's waiting on trial. I don't know what's going on with all that. But anyway... They found out they tracked him because he's an idiot and he didn't turn his phone off. Right. And drove by their house, took his own car, left the knife sheath at the scene. Yeah. And I'm like, literally, I even know. Don't take your phone if you're going to go murder somebody. Like, are you stupid? <laughs> you know? Anyway, we should do that one, too. Maybe we shouldn't be put telling our listeners that. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't kill For anybody. you stupid people out there, take your phone with you. <laughs> yes, take it with you, actually. Don't listen to us. You need your phone. Yeah. Because what if something happens? Yeah, you may accidentally shoot yourself, and you <laughs> may need to call 911. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so bad. <laughs> I've known people that have shot themselves accidentally, though. Your sister, right? No. No, was she, it didn't, your dad? she didn't shoot herself. How did that happen? My dad didn't shoot himself. So you told me that somebody, a gun went off and it hit your sister or something like that. Yeah. Or is that a made up story? No, no, that was real. <laughs> well, what happened? Uh, my dad had let somebody borrow a gun. And oh. when he picked it up, it just went off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. And it hit my sister in the head. <laughs> but I can't. She's okay, though. I can't mention who shot themselves. 
Oh, right. Because they're a cop in town. <laughs> they know who they are. Listen. And I was threatened not oh, to say anything. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not, let's not say it then. What are we talking about anyway? <laughs> this was, this is like a long time ago before he was a cop. Well, anyway, back to this case. It he's freaks a great, me he's out. He's a great dude, too. It freaks me out because I'm like, literally, like, I could just be hanging out with my friends or whatever, you know, and somebody could just be watching you and nobody know, like, and you're not aware of it. This is why I'm very paranoid. Well, but it's good to be paranoid. It is. And your 21st birthday is fixing to come up. <laughs> Gonna get a gun. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's one thing that, you know, I'm always was worried about if someone around me got murdered and they come to me like, okay, well, you're a suspect and they want to search the house or whatever. I got guns everywhere. Yeah. Like, I'm one of those guys that— But I don't think that's weird. Well, I, I have a gun almost in every room of the house. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm I'm Mr. Prepared over here. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Just because you own a gun, though, doesn't mean that you killed somebody. No. Not, like I said, not unless I'm forced to. If I'm forced to, I have no problem with it. <laughs> but, well, yeah. that's. I think that's why this one was just kind of like stuck with me because she was my age. I'm 20. I'm yeah. a junior in college. Yeah. And So this one hit you. Yeah. And yeah. the whole like it just being a random person because in a lot of the, these cases, it is somebody that knows them. You know, like with Raina Rison, it was her ex-boyfriend. Right. And so it's just usually somebody that knows them because yeah. they, quote, did something to them or screwed them over or whatever, yeah. whatever the reason is. Yeah. Typically someone in, in their own mind has a reason. Yeah. So and nowadays, I mean, there's still serial killers. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, me and Amber was discussing that because there's apparently a current one in Texas someplace. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm not going to Texas. Um, <laughs> like, where in Texas? Like, near us? Or? Um, No. I'll have to look into it. We'll have to talk about it. Uh, oh, my. Off air, anyway. Yeah. Um, But nowadays, most killings in that capacity are mass shootings. Yeah. Uh, which we'll probably cover something you know like that. You know which one? really got me the uvalde shooting i don't know if you'll be able to talk about it because it's little kids it's elementary school kids yeah i, I can't i obsessed do episode over that. like that you're gonna have to do with courtney i can't do it i obsessed over that for so long and i'm just like i don't know it just it got me bad now we could talk about columbine i'll do that i one. don't know if i would want to though because then it kind of goes into the whole like political view on gun laws and stuff like that and i don't really want to like get into politics well i'll be the first person even though i may own a gun in every room of the house i do think, i'm a firm believer in gun control i think it should be harder to obtain a gun i completely because agree with the uvalde shooter he was 18 years old why does an 18 year old need an ar-15 they don't. a military style rifle they don't Exactly. That's my only thing. I'm just like, yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's all I need to say. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll touch on stuff like that just because we're a true crime podcast. Uh, now, 
our opinions are not the majority nor the minority. Especially in our state. Yeah. Our red state. <laughs> yeah. And not to say we're right or wrong in our thinking or our beliefs with that. Uh, that's just how we think and what we believe. Mm-hmm. Not pressing that on anybody else whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot like my Christianity. I believe in God. I believe he died for my sins. Yeah. I will talk about that. I will talk about that with people who want to talk about it. See, that's kind of like I'll my mention thing. it to people that don't want to talk about it, but if they let me know that they don't want to talk about it, then I'm going to respect their... Yeah. Yeah. See, that's kind of my... Like, some people push it on you or yeah. push it on others, and I'm just like... That's why I just... I don't bring up religion and politics very often anymore, just because it's just... Bad. Right. It's just asking for trouble. That's well, all the, Facebook was whenever, like, Roe v. Wade was overturned or whatever. Yeah. I was all into that, but... Yeah, because you're not going to change their mind, so there's just no point. Right. But anyway. Yeah, and it's not worth a lot of times, unless you're involved with politics or you're in a voting booth, those things aren't worth discussing. Yeah, I agree. It just gets—I can't tell you how many heated arguments I've gotten, (laughs) and it goes nowhere, so there's just no point. Absolutely. Yep. Kind of like having an argument with your mom. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, mom. <laughs> and you thought I'd make it the whole episode. We'll end on that. This episode of Unmasking Evil was researched and written by me, Abby. If you would like to see any photos from this case, you can visit our Facebook page, which we will link to in our show notes. Be sure to follow us and share with your friends, and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe, rate, and review. You can visit us at unmaskingevil.com or email us, unmaskingevilpodcast at gmail.com.